Hebrews chapter 10. While you're turning there, let me share just a couple of things with you. First of all, many of you have asked about my mom and my stepdad. Um, I spent four days with them. And if I have to characterize my mother's situation in one word, it would be frail. Um, mother is not at death's door any more than any other 84-year-old that spent 51 years with diabetes and is feeling tremendous weakness in her knees and legs and feet. But in addition to that now, because of the fall that she had, she still cannot get her eyes to focus. She's seeing double. Um, and I did not realize the level of care that I needed to give her and my stepdad until I got there. So thankful that I could be there. My brother is there now. After that, my stepbrother from Washington State will come in and be there until Thanksgiving. So there will be someone with them 24 hours a day for at least the next two weeks or so. So um, continue to be in prayer for my stepdad. Thank you for your prayers. One of the things that those of you who are regular attenders and worshipers with us know about me, I think, is that usually by about Thursday, I have the words that I believe God wants me to share well in my brain and in my heart, planted in my heart, so that I'll take a three-by-five card, write down some key words just to keep me on track, and then I just kind of let fly, okay? <laughs> Try not to chase too many rabbit trails along the way and share with you what God has on my heart. But when I spend a week giving 24-hour-a-day care to my parents, this is what you get, okay? All right, so I just want to let you know that in advance. Normally, I don't, I don't preach this way. Um, I'll be a little more tied to my notes than normal. Please forgive me for that, but understand that uh, I still believe it's God's Word. I just didn't have quite enough time to get it deep down into my heart and into my mind. By the way, thanks to all of you that have come out to see Hound of the Baskervilles. Um, it was, it's been a wonderful experience for me, a great witnessing for me and continuing to build relationships. Um, Friday was Veterans Day, and I want to take just a moment to honor and recognize those in our congregation. One of the reasons I took the first 10 minutes to be up at the Deacon was I wanted to do that there. I did not want to ignore our men and women there who have served or are serving in our military. And I want to I add in this regard, if you are either in active duty or if you are retired or are no longer in duty but you are a veteran, would you just stand just a moment please to recognize the veteran? Remain standing just for a moment, men, if you don't mind. Okay, you can be seated. <laughs> I know you men, you, you, you love to serve. You don't necessarily like to be recognized. I hope that you men and the women as well that have come understand what a model you provide to us, what it means to walk in the Now, when you went into the military, you may have not been a Christian. Maybe you just needed a steady job. Maybe you, your parents or a counselor or someone thought this would put some discipline into your life. Maybe you just want to see the world. You know, I, I'll never forget that scene from, uh, hopefully you've watched the scrubbed version of Stripes, but there's a scene where John Candy says, you know, they just told me I could see the world, you know, if I join the military, so I join the army, you know. And uh, most of what he saw was cleaning latrines, but um, all over the world he was cleaning latrines. But, um, but what you teach us is about sacrificing your own desires for a cause that is bigger than you. And we're going to talk about that. And I want to thank you. I think this is a God thing. I had not, didn't even think about the fact. Actually, I was going to actually do this sermon last week. And then God rearranged the schedule. But Dennis Felix came back and said that he could preach there if I wanted to preach here. And the next week, swap places. He preached it next Sunday morning. And, um, but we're going to be talking about church membership today. You remember we've been doing these nine marks of a healthy church, a strong, healthy church. This is number six in that list, having a biblical view of what it means to be a member of the local body of God's word. And but I want to thank you for your sacrifice. I want to thank you for protecting our I want to thank you for standing in places that no one else wanted to stand in and do it with obedience, do it with sacrifice, do it with the discipline that comes committing your life. I didn't really realize until I went to that um, luncheon that the chaplains put on out at Scott. I'd just forgotten, I guess. And I, I don't have time to go into it in depth, but basically, when you signed that contract, when you made that pledge, basically, you took your life and you laid it out, knowing that at any day you could be killed. 
called in an instant to go into harm. They told the story, and I've told it to you, about the fighter, pilot, fighter, fighter jet pilots taking off in their F-15s with no ammunition, with one goal, and that was to crash that plane that was headed for the Pentagon. Never even thinking about their own Jumping into training planes. One would head for the cockpit, one would head for the Pentagon. That kind of a mindset is set up for giving life. Thank you. Love you. One other thing I need to share with you is just a quick announcement about the box that has become a welcome box. There are several <clears throat> several hundred of these envelopes put in alphabetical order. Please help us with this piece of mail. Alphabetical order so that you can find yours. Inside this envelope, if you haven't opened it yet, there's several pieces of information. There's a letter from me explaining the reason for this envelope. There is a copy of our church constitution bylaws as well as a copy of our Baptist faith message that we as a church have adopted as our statement of faith as a church. And then there's a card called I Love My Church where you can identify yourself as being in agreement with the teachings of our church, the doctrine of our church, and you want to be recognized as a member in good standing. Let me say this to you for, again, this is not about finding ways to get people off our church. No one will be taken off of our church. This is designed for us to know who we are in covenant with so that we can minister and serve together. Because we have a situation like thousands of other Southern Baptist churches I'll go through in just a minute where there are a lot of people that joined our church, they were baptized back on Park Street, they have not stepped foot in this church in 20-something years. We have no idea. We know an address, but we don't know anything about what's going on with them. We tried to contact them. So we want to be able to know who actually are our committed members in this church family. Also in this envelope, there is another envelope that says ensure the vision. How many of you have been around here long enough to know what ensure the vision means? There's a few of you. Ensure the vision is our ongoing capital campaign to reduce the debt that we have for constructing the beacon. Every year, we renew our commitment for a new year. And you say, well, why do we have to do this every year? Because we need a snapshot. I'm just going to be perfectly honest. We need to know at least a good general idea of what we as a church family feel like under with God's help, we can commit over and above our tithes and offerings to help reduce the debt. That helps the finance committee. It helps the stewardship committee. And it helps the property and resource committee as they plan. And actually, even this new building committee. I think they mentioned them earlier, this new building committee, as they are looking towards the future. So some of you have never done one of these before. This will be your first time. Some of you have had changes in your income. Maybe it's gone up, maybe it's gone down. Now, in bold italic print, the letter that goes with that Ensure the Vision card, there is the following statement. I'm not going to quote it, but I just want to make sure you hear it. There is a line on this card for your name. I only want you to put your name on this card if you want Rita Trantham to help keep up with your level of giving. Sometimes it's nice to have somebody that can say, okay, so far you've given this much towards your commitment. Otherwise, this is completely anonymous, completely. Only you and the Lord, maybe your spouse, know what you've committed. Turn that card in, and it will be tallied, and then it will be shredded. But if you would like for the financial secretary to be able to help you keep up with your giving, just put your name on there, and then she will keep that record for you, and then you'll be able to know where you are as far as pledge. Other than that, that's pretty much it. All right. Enough of that. Let's get into the Father, Anytime we do a topical program, I have to be very careful that it's not turned into a lecture or a We're looking at a very important topic in the life of a healthy church. A topic that we could go to probably 40 passages. We don't have time for that. But we do want to hear from you. So, Father, as we open your word, as we share together, as we listen Spirit guides both my words and all of our hearts. I pray that we will leave this place in a few moments with a renewed appreciation and love for what it means to be a part, an active, committed 
covenanted part of a specific local church family. And we will be thankful that you have allowed us that opportunity. So, Father, as we open your word, as we hear your spirit speak through your servant, would you be given all the honor and glory and may your son be lifted up. There is a sickness going on in America. A phobia. It's been around for probably at least 40 years. And it is getting worse and worse and worse. And I can't play. It is a commitment phobia. And it doesn't just affect the church. It affects organizations across our culture. This fear that if I commit myself to something, I may miss something better coming along later. So you're planning a big get-together. And you call your friends and say, hey, I would like to come to my house three weeks from Friday night. We're going to have a big celebration. And the answer will be, I'll get back to you. Which that means I've got to see if there's anything better to do. And if not, then I might come to your thing. But I can't promise you I'll just do my best to be there. This fear of Giving up our freedom to make decisions is why when we say, if you want to be a part of this Bible study group, please sign up in advance so that we can purchase enough books, have everything ready for you, have enough seats, have enough refreshments and everything. And four people sign up, so we buy six books anticipating, and 15 people show up that day. Well, I just decided I would come. And listen, that's okay. I'm not, I'm not telling you to... Don't come if you don't sign up. But the problem, but what what is it? It just is another symbol of this fear that we have of extending ourselves and releasing our own freedom in certain situations. And that's ironic for us as Christians because of anything in the world, we are part of a religion that is one of the most options-closing religions in the world. When Jesus said, if you follow me, you must die. And it makes me wonder, to be perfectly honest with you, how many of us really take that seriously? Oh, we like the life and have it more abundantly part. But when we read Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who said so well, when Jesus calls a man, he bids him come and die. It's like, well, now he didn't really mean that. He just meant you've got to be willing to make sacrifices. But we are part of a, of a, of a religion, Christianity, that is built upon the idea that the only way that we can the forgiveness, the cleansing, the relationship is for us to surrender our lives. And that's why 40, 50 years ago, we threw out that phrase. You don't surrender your life to Christ. You ask Jesus to come into your heart. You accept him as your Savior. He becomes the beggar. He becomes the one asked the question, and you accept him or reject him. I have sung many times, again, in tears, time after time he has waited before, and now he is waiting again to see if you are willing to open the door. Oh, how he wants you to come in. Is that the same Jesus where Paul said he now commands all men everywhere to repent? Which one is he? The begging, pleading Jesus? We have this phobia, and then you couple it with what I can only call Lone Rangerism. You know, you know the, the Marlboro Man mentality, John Wayne mentality. Why do I need to mess with other people? I'll just take care of myself. You take care of yourself. I take care of myself. I'm okay. You're okay. I'm just a little more okay than you are. I'll take care of myself. You take care of yourself, and we'll all be fine. And we have a situation so that when we get our financial or our, our, our quarterly report family meeting, it says that we now have on our church roll 849 active members, resident members, 849 resident members, and an average attendance of about 210. Where are the other 639? Well, member, but you know, I'm just, I got other things to do on Sunday. We're going to talk about that over these next few moments. And no, this is not going to be a fussing sermon. No, this is not going to be a, because you're all here. Okay. This is going to be talking about why church membership is so important. What does the Bible say, and what does it mean 
for us. So I'm going to ask basically three questions. Number one, we're going to lay a quick foundation issue of what is the church, why should a person join a church, and what does church membership entail, okay? That's what we're going to look at. So let's begin with what is a This is an important concept because I think we forget sometimes that this, the idea of a church is a uniquely Christian concept. There are no Jewish churches. There are no Buddhist churches. There are no Muslim churches. You say, well, yeah, Pastor, but they have their synagogues or their, their, their mosques or whatever. Those are different things. Those are different things entirely. Only Christians have churches. And from the time I was a child, and I'll guarantee that 99% of you the same way, the first thing we heard is the church is not the building. The church is the people. And we all know that. This, that's why our Puritan forefathers would call this what? Anybody know? This was the meeting house. We are the church. Wherever we gather, the church is gathered. Wherever we serve together, the church is serving. Wherever we fellowship together, the church is fellowshipping. We come into this meeting house once or twice a week to meet, to hear God's word preached, but the church is the people. And it's a specific kind of people. It is people who have surrendered their lives to Jesus Christ, testified to that publicly through believers' baptism, and our communion by coming together around the table. Those are the people that become it is a specific group of people. So when I pastor, how do you know that? I mean, don't you remember in Acts chapter 8, you know, when the Ethiopian eunuch came to Christ, did he have to join a church? In Acts chapter 2, doesn't it say that the Lord added daily people that were being saved? It does. But what did Jesus say in Matthew chapter 18, for example? In Matthew chapter 18, Jesus talks about dealing with someone who has sinned. And he says, if you go to that person humbly, quietly, Help them see their error. If they repent, wonderful, you've won back a brother. If they refuse to repent, take a couple more people and go talk to them again. Say, look, you need to understand that you've fallen away. You need to get your life straight back out. If they don't listen to you, what do you do? You take it to the whole church. And then the church comes together. They try to counsel this person. If that person will not listen, what do you do? You exclude them from the church. Now, I have a question for you, my dear friends. Can you exclude something or someone if there's no concept of them being included to begin with? No. There has to be a concept of being included or else you can't exclude. There has to be a line between those who are part of the church family and those who are not. So, in essence, from Jesus' own mouth, we have this concept of the body of believers being a unique group of people gathered together. Again, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, we have the same situation. Put him out of the fellowship so that he can repent. So if there's something you can be excluded from, by nature, that means it's also something that you can be included. So everyone is welcome to attend. And if you're here this morning and you're not a member of the First Baptist Church of Waterloo, does that mean you're not welcome? Of course it doesn't mean that. You're always welcome and you always will be welcome. But there's a difference between being an attender and being a member, a covenant committed member of a church family or a church body. The New Testament teaches that the church in its purpose and its membership is for believers. For those to whom God's Holy Spirit has given new birth, and who join together in community with one another. It's an exclusive community in the sense that only those who have surrendered their lives to Christ, followed him in believer's baptism, have been adopted into God's family. And they have a rightful place in that local church body. And that place is called membership. So that's what a church is. It is a group of people gathered together in a mutual agreement to do the work of the universal church in a local situation setting. I think we're all good with that. Anybody got any questions about that? No, you go. No, you go. You're good. Then let's move on to the second question. Why join a church? Now, I had a marker. Right now, my good. Now try. Okay, there's got to be a loose wire in here somewhere. I apologize, guys. Please forgive me. I'll just bang the pulpit, not my pants leg anymore. Okay. All right. 
I want to draw a little diagram for you to help you understand what goes into joining and being a part of a church family. You see, well, let me just draw a little line like this. Let me start with you, an individual Christian. Your responsibilities as a member of a church is no different than your responsibilities as a Christian. All the things the Bible teaches us that we should do as believers, don't cha- none of those things change just because you join a church. You could not be a member of any church anywhere, and you would still have the same responsibilities. To worship God, to hear His Word preached and taught, to, to read it, to pray, to share the gospel with other people, to do acts of ministry and service in Christ's name. Your responsibility as an individual, just you and the Lord, does not change just because you join a certain particular church. What does change is that when you become part of a church family, you then begin to unite yourself with an assembly of other like-minded Christians with you, and together you create this assembly called a church. And you have certain responsibilities to that group. And the primary responsibility is you will gather together with them in worship and in service. You're going to work together as a family to get things done. And that is built in many ways on the concept of love. But before we go there, while you're at Hebrews chapter 10, and by the way, we're going to be coming back and forth to Hebrews 10, so if you have a little marker or something that you can stick there, you might want to keep it there. But in verse 25, he makes it very clear. The writer of Hebrews says, not staying away from our worship meetings as some habitually do. In his context about what it means to live a godly life, he talks about the fact that we need to be involved in regularly meeting together. That is the underlying foundational concept of what our commitment is to a local body of believers. That is, we're going to worship God together in a unique situation, a unique place. It may be building like this. It may be a rented space. It may be someone's home. It may be under a mango tree in Africa. But we're going to come together as brothers and sisters in Now, see, this is where, and let me just stop for half a second and help you understand. This is where we, even though we may not be able to explain it, we understand the difference between going to a BSF group in O'Fallon and coming to First Baptist Church of Waterloo, or being part of a Young Life group on a college campus, or a, a, a Fellowship of Christian Athletes group on a high school campus or college campus, and being in a church. Because all of those times we're fellowshiping with other believers, but there's a unique relationship, a unique commitment that we make with a local body of believers that is an ongoing relationship in our lives. And I'll speci- uh, specify that just a little bit more in just a second. But if you hold that and turn back to John chapter 13, we see what the main key is to that. In John 13, uh, verses 34 and 35, Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he's wanting them to understand what it means for them to be in fellowship and and being committed to one another. So in John 13, beginning at verse 34, he says, I give you a new command, love one another. Just as I have loved you, you must also love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. You see, they don't find out you're a Christian by you, by yourself, being at, at work. They may know you're a little bit of a wackadoodle, but they find out that you're part of a larger thing when they see you together with other believers expressing love to one another, expressing unity for one another. Over in the book of Romans, chapter 12, verse 16, Romans 12 talks about this unity that comes out of this bond of love. We love one another because we're all united in loving God, and so we love each other. We all love Christ for what he's done for us. And in Romans, chapter 12, verse 16, Paul says these words, Be in agreement with one another. Do not be proud. Instead, associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own estimation. He says you need to let your love for each other flow in having a sense of unity together with one another. This is the commitment that each of us as members of a local church body give to the body. I'm going to be in unity with you. I may not always agree with you on everything. We may not be unanimous on things all the time, but we are in unity about what it is that we are about as God's people. And the thing that brings that unity is what we see in just the verse before. In verse 15 of Romans chapter 12, he talks about the fact that it comes out of having sympathy for one another. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who 
See, as we sympathize with one another, as we rejoice with one another, as we, in, as we carry together each other's burdens, and all of those one another phrases that go on throughout Scripture, pray for one another, care for one another, help one another, encourage one another, lift one another up, edify one another, encourage one another, challenge one another. All of those things happen within the context of the local body of believers of which people have publicly and openly committed themselves in membership. And that's why it's so amazingly important. But there's another leg to this, another part. This is a triangle. Here we have pastors. Because there's also a relationship between the church member and the congregation or the body, assembled body, and the pastors. Now, again, let me take just a quick footnote here. One of the buzzwords in Southern Baptist life today is the word, are you ready for this? It's that horrible E word, the word elders. <gasps> you know that Baptist Church so-and-so, they have elders now. You know what? So do you. We just call ours pastors. Okay? The word pastors and the word elders in the Bible are exactly the same thing. There are only two offices in the church, according to Paul and Timothy, and again in Titus, and that is the office of pastors or elders and the office of deacons. Pastors do the teaching and the shepherding. Deacons do the ministering and the serving. And so please don't be thrown off by the fact that one church may call their pastors elders, another church may call them pastors. The bottom line, and if you've seen other denominations where the elders are like an administrative board or something, that is not the biblical concept of elders. The elders or pastors are the spiritual shepherds and overseers of the flock. Now, I've seen some triangles where these guys were put at the top of the triangle. I don't like that. I mean, I, I can understand in one sense, but I kind of like it with, with Daryl and I and any others being down here. Not so much, not so much because we're, we're subjugated to it, because the triangle can be turned any way we choose to. But the bottom line is we are all in relationship with each other. And your responsibility as a church member to your pastors is, number one, to let us know who you are. To let us know what's going on in your life. How can we shepherd you if we don't know you? Do you understand? I tell you what, you're in Hebrews chapter 10. Go back there just for a second. Matter of fact, turn the page to chapter 13 for just a minute. Turn the page in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 13. And let's read what he says in verse 17. In Hebrews 13, 17, the writer of Hebrews, who, have, who we believe himself was a pastor, is talking about the role that you play as church members to your elders or your pastors, your leaders, your shepherds, under-shepherds of your flock. He says these words, Obey your leaders, submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account, so they can do this with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. Now, don't get caught up in the words obey and submit. We know what that means. We're talking about a mutual submission and Christian love to one another. We talk about the office. If you have a chairman of the committee, that chairman of that committee is the same as every other member of the committee. But the job of the chairman is to help organize the committee, oversee the committee, make sure the work gets done. I've seen many of you do excellent jobs as chairman. And so in a spiritual sense, that's what the pastors are. The pastors are called out from within the church and given the responsibility of leading and shepherding. But the thing that resonates with me and with 99% of the pastors I know is that line where it says, you need to understand. And I'm looking you in the eye with all the love I have in my heart and say, you need to understand. There's only one person in this room who someday will stand before the throne of God to give an account as to how this church did its work as gospel. It's not a deacon. It's not a Sunday school teacher. It's not the clerk. It is the pastor. And because of that, it is so important that we work together as a family. It's so important that we respond to one another and we work together and take care of one another. So, Having said all of that, let me share with you five things that I think I've read probably a dozen books in getting ready for this sermon. been working on it now for three months, and I finally came together while I was at my mom's and kind of compiled everything down into, into five things I think that, that joining a church really, really means, all right? So let me just kind of walk through those kind of quickly. Number one, it means we join a church in order to assure ourselves. Now, you don't join a church to become a Christian. You join a church because you are a Christian, but... As we've talked about before, we talked about it last week, there are also those times when we need to be assured that we truly are in the faith. It's not just a lip service thing. It's not just a, a, a mental thing and not a heart thing. And one of the things about being in a group of fellow believers, they hold us accountable to one another 
and living according to what we say. When I say the word, the name Gene Nidich, how many heads pop up? Gene Nidich was the founder of? Really? Weight Watchers. He was the founder of Weight Watchers. And when they, when they started Weight Watchers, they started on a premise that she had seen at her church, which is she recognized that people would not lose weight unless they joined an organization where they had to meet once a week for accountability to one another. And the genius of Weight Watchers is not fish five times a week. We were in Weight Watchers in the old days. Or counting your points or counting this or doing that. It is coming together every week, stepping on that scale to see how you're doing. And you know where she learned it? At her local church. Because she recognized the fact that one of the things that is a benefit of being a member of a local church body is that we can hold each other accountable in Christian love for how we're doing in our walk to assure and affirm that we are in Christ. You see, membership in a local church is a living testimony to our membership in the universal church. By being part of a local church body, that testifies to the fact that we are part of the body and we grasp our hands together and we hold each other lovingly and humbly accountable to make sure that what we say we believe is actually The second reason, we join a church to evangelize the world. If you think about it, everything you just saw David Platt share a few minutes ago is about churches sending out men and women to go share the gospel, whether it's in the United States, whether it's overseas, the IMB then comes along channels the resources from other churches along with ours and sends them to the places that we feel God has called them to go. But it's the church that does the work of evangelizing. It's the church that does the work of sending out missionaries. It is the church that has a missions-minded heart. Every local church by its very nature is a missionary organization. And by the way, not just by sending people out. We are a missionary organization because we are the visible body of Christ to the people of Waterloo, Illinois. If they want to know what Jesus looks like, they should be able to look inside of this room, inside of this group, and find out that's who Jesus is. So by our very nature, by what we do, we are living out the testimony of who Jesus Christ is. And that leads me to the third thing. And we join a church in order to expose false understandings of what it means to be a Christian. I cannot tell you, and I'm sure you've had the same experience, how many unbelievers, you ask them what do they think about Christians. Oh, yeah. Yeah, those are the people that say they don't, say they believe one thing, but yet they do something else. I know about those people. They're all a bunch of bunch of people. They think they're better than everybody else. They're out there on patrol, making sure nobody's having too much fun out there because they're going to mess it up. Self-righteous. They think they're better than everybody else. Well, I don't know about you, but I know that ain't true. I know I'm messed up. You do too, don't you? You know that you're messed up. Not me. You know I'm messed up too. You know. And so as we come together as a body of believers who are all wounded healers, all of us need uh, being strengthened and healed, we show the world. Because, see, here's the deal. You can be a wonderful Christian witness at your work or in your club or in your community. You can be a tremendous, with God's help and by His grace, a tremendous testimony to the truth of the gospel. You know what they'll say? Oh, they're just an exception. They're not, they're not like, they'd be, they'd be the same way if they weren't Christians. It's not because they're Christians. You by yourself are great, but when you're part of a body of people who are living out that life day after day after day after day after day, 220 strong or 420 strong or 820 strong, then they say, this is something special. That's why I love it. I've told you this story too many times. It happened again about four weeks ago when I walk into Walmart this time and they said, hey, do you see that lady going out the door right there? Yeah, I see her. She's one of your church members, isn't she? I said, yeah, she sure is. I could tell just by the way she acted that she was part of your church. Part of your church. Not I could tell that she was a Christian, although she could. But I could tell she was part of your church. Because the church becomes a testimony of what it really means to be a Christian. We are, we are sinners. We cannot save ourselves. There's no value in us and of ourselves except through Christ. Number four, we join a church to edify one another. What does the word edify mean? What's an edifice? What's an edifice? A building. So to edify means to build. So we build each other up. We make each other stronger. We lift each other up. We build each other in love through our care and concern for one another. You see, 
Jesus is just concerned about how many hours you spend in your quiet time. He wants to know how do you treat other people? How do you treat the people around you? Now, take just a minute and look around this room. Take a second, just look around. Come on, go ahead. Look, 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 look. Look to the left. Look to the right. Look behind you. Now you see the back of somebody else's head. Look in front. How else would you ever have known all of these people? We come from a tremendous variety of, of social backgrounds, of economic backgrounds, cultural backgrounds. We live in different parts of town. Some don't even live here in Waterloo. The only affinity that we have is our love for Christ. You join the PTA, you're all parents of kids in school. You join the homeschoolers organization, you're all homeschool parents. You join the Lions Club, you like working with blind people. You join the Kiwanis, you're interested in children. But, but, but the church is unique in the sense that there is nothing else that would bring this group of people together except the Holy Spirit. And that heterogeneous grouping of people is what makes the church so amazingly unique. Even your Bible study group is together because you all want to study the book of Matthew or the book of Revelation or the life of Ruth or, or whatever it may be. But when you come together as a church, you do it to strengthen. We're, we're, we're coming back to Hebrews chapter 10 now. Look with me and let's read this, the lettuce passage. Okay, this is the lettuce patch of the book of Hebrews. It starts at verse 19 of Hebrews chapter 10, where he says, Therefore, brothers, since we have boldness to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way he has opened up for us through the curtain, that is, his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, he's saying because we have all of these things, these benefits of our salvation, because of that, verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. Our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. Let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us be concerned about one another in order to promote love and good works, not staying away from our worship meetings as some habitually do, but encouraging edifying, building up each other, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. You see, these things that the writer of Hebrews is telling us is we strengthen each other, we build each other up, we encourage each other so that we can be strong in our faith in a world that is continually more and more and more trying to ostracize and marginalize us and our testimony for the gospel. You see, becoming part of a church family turns us from being consumers to becoming proprietors. Now, again, I want to make sure you understand, if you're not a member of the first family, I'm not saying that means that you're a consumer. Don't, I'm, not, I'm not accusing you of not loving this church or whatever. I'm sure that you have a reason why, and maybe before the day is out today, you'll say, you know what, I'm ready to become part of this family. I want to, I want to make this my home. But let's be honest. There is a certain, I'm just going to use the word, there's a certain ownership they come and say, this is my church. What happens to these pews matters to me. What happens to, to the ceiling matters to me. What happens to those front doors matters to me. The fact that, that, that we have been frightened a number of times by people coming in unannounced into our building to the point now the building is locked. And you have to push a little button. And I can be in Atlanta and I can see your smiling face standing in front of the door. So if nobody is there, I can talk to you. Hello, Christine. And Christine goes, Okay? But it matters to you. Why? Because this is your church. And so the things that go on here become things that make a difference to you. The fifth thing, we join a church to glorify God. And that really is the most important. I'm going to save that for a future sermon. But for now, let me just say, we do this to glorify God. Take just a minute and turn back with me to 1 Peter chapter 2, a passage we looked at just a couple of weeks ago. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12, Peter is talking about why we live out our Christian life and community, why we do. Remember, he was writing to the churches in Asia Minor. He was writing to these little clusters of believers that were scattered in various locations. I hope you enjoyed your study in 2 Peter chapter 1 this morning. Next week, Brother Dennis Felix is going to be here. He's going to dig a whole lot deeper into those verses. We talk about them some more. But in 1 Peter chapter 2, at verse 12, he says this, Conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles, so that in a case where they speak against you as those who do what is evil, they will, by observing your good works, do what? Glorify God in your midst. And Jesus, back in Matthew chapter 5, made the same thing. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and do what? Glorify your Father. Not glorify you. Glorify your Father. So, so you see, God, in a unique way, links together our good works and God's glory. Do I understand that? 
Not really, to be perfectly honest with you, not completely. But it's God's plan, not mine. And he says, when you do the work of the church, I get the glory. Remember I told you a couple weeks ago about how sometimes I worry about my sermons? And God says, I'll help you and you glorify me. That's a great deal. He says to us as a church, listen, you get out there and do the work. You get out there and get the job done. And I'll receive the Lord. I will help you. I will enable you. I will empower you. I will gift you. I will financially provide for you. You just go out there and do the work. And then, in return, you give me the glory. So we get the help. He gets the glory. Can't get any better than that. Last question. We'll be done. What does membership entail? Well, obviously, it means that there's a life of repentance and belief, and it's marked by two major things that happen. Number one, the first act is the act of baptism. Publicly professing your faith of your own free will, surrender your life to Christ in believer's baptism. Does that mean if a person is baptized as an infant and later is confirmed is not a Christian? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Matter of fact, those of you who have been around here for a while know that almost every time I baptize someone in believer's baptism that was baptized as an infant, I make it very, very clear. They've been a Christian for many years. Now they want to identify with believer's baptism to publicly testify as a professing believer their faith in Jesus Christ. It does not mean, because we know that baptism doesn't save you, but it is the first action that we take as professing believers surrendering our lives to Jesus Christ. And the second action is one that is both biblical and historical. Now, I want to make sure you understand that. And that is signing up. Now, whoa, wait a minute, Pastor. Are you telling me that when somebody joined the First Baptist Church of Corinth, they had to sign a card? No, I'm not saying that at all. But I'm telling you, there are many times in Scripture where people, when they made a commitment, showed that commitment by taking the quill and the ink in hand. And the most famous is in the book of Nehemiah. They had sinned against the Lord. And they wanted to commit themselves to each other. And so they started with the leaders. And the leaders, they opened, Nehemiah and, and Ezra stood there, they opened the scroll, and they wrote their names and said, we affirm that we will follow this. This is why this I Love My Church card is so important. It does not make you a church member. It does not keep you as a church member. But it affirms that you see yourself in union and in unity with this church family as we go forward. So that we know those of us who are in covenant with each other and can hold each other accountable as we grow together. But you see, making a statement, I was asking Dave Antry, young Dave Antry this morning about when he went into the military, he had to swear an oath of allegiance. He also had to sign his name that he would fulfill and uphold the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic. They wanted a signature on the line saying, yes. I commit myself. So what are the responsibilities? Well, first of all, you're going to attend services regularly. That's part of being a part of a church family. Being a member. Say, I'm going to attend. I'm going to be regular. I'm going to be there. I want to hear God's word preached. I want to hear it taught. I want to be able to respond to it. I want to be able to do what I can. Number two, it means attending communion in particular. Let me just take a minute. My time's almost gone, but let me turn back to Luke for just a minute. Luke 22. Now, beloved, sometimes I have to tell you the truth, even though I know you probably don't want to hear it. But I've got to do it. I have to. I'm charged by my master to tell you the truth. We'll look at Luke 22, 19. Just a there are two things that identify us as a covenant community of believers. One is coming and meeting to observe someone being baptized into the faith and welcoming them into our family. And the second one is coming to this table as a family. Nothing hurts my heart more than for us to announce that we're going to have communion together as a church family on a Sunday night at 6 o'clock and 18 people showing up. Where is the family? Don't tell me home watching football. Don't tell me out playing with your kids on the playground. Don't tell me watching something on your DVR. I love you. I'm not meaning to fuss at you. I'm trying to lift up your understanding that, that when we come together to take the Lord's Supper, this is not just a normal worship service. This is a special time. Do you know that when your grandparents were my age, if a person did not attend Lord's Supper twice in a row, they were disfellowshipped from the church? Because it was important that the family come together to celebrate 
We do it in the evening three times a year. We do it in the morning three times a year. And we do that primarily because I know some of you work. Some of you just can't be. I'm not talking about, you know, you're, that you're sick or, or you have to work. I'm not talking about that. My dad, I've told you before many times, my dad was a fireman all my life. And almost every single Sunday, he was either working Sunday morning or Sunday night. Okay, I understand that. But Jesus said in Luke chapter 22, verse 19, he said these words. He took bread, gave thanks, broke it, gave it to them, and said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this. Is that any less of a command than the Great Commission? Is that any less of a command than the Great Commission? No. Do this in remembrance of me. Don't just do it when it's convenient for you. Do it together as a family, as a body. Bring your children. Let them watch. If they're not yet baptized believers, let them observe. If they are, let them take two. And then go home and talk from 7 o'clock until 9 o'clock about what it means. What does that piece of bread mean? What does that cup mean? Why don't we do this together? Why don't we pass it? Why do the deacons distribute it? What does it mean? What role does it play in our life as a church family? These are the two most sacred ordinances we have. Baptism and Lord's Supper. Okay. Number three. Now this is purely me talking. Just a second. Attend meetings of your church family regularly. I know some of you don't like business meetings. I know some of you just don't, don't think they're all that much fun. But you know what? That's where the work of the body happens. You need all the parts of your body to make your body work properly, including those parts you probably wish you, you know, didn't have to mess with. But we need all of it. And a lot goes on. Yes, we hear financial reports, and yes, we hear committee reports. But you know what? This past time at our family meeting, we voted together as a church family to form a search committee. We've been looking for a second full-time staff person. Somebody said, how are we going to pay for it? We said, we don't know yet. When you went looking for me, you didn't have the money to pay for me either. But after you found me, then you sat down together, and you put together a package, and you voted to fund the position. So, Things happen in these meetings that have a long-term effect on our whole church family. So whenever you can, as much as you can, you need to be there. We do them once a quarter. We come together. We take care of the Lord's business. Now, back to Scriptures. Pray regularly. We need to be in regular prayer for each other. And lastly, give regularly. All right, it's time to quit. Are these high expectations? I don't think so. I'm amazed people will join the Kiwanis Club, they'll join the PTA, they'll join this organization, won't even ask, won't even question what's expected of them. We should do the same thing in the Lord's house. Let me tell you what. When you become a part of this church family, I want you to know we will treat you as if you are a converted believer. We will assume that you love God and that you hate sin and that you're battling to grow in that love for God. We will assume that you want us to help you grow in your Christian walk. Today, the world talks about how we need to be more inclusive in the church. And in one sense, we do need to be. We need to make sure everyone knows that everyone is welcome. People often ask me, well, if you had a gay couple walk in, a same-sex couple, would you, would you welcome them? Absolutely, I would welcome them. I'd let them sit right here on the second pew because they need to hear the gospel. Would I let anyone who is openly living in unrepentant sin join our church? Not on my watch. I am your pastor, and it is my place to stand between you and those who could bring harm to you. If someone comes in, they are living in unrepentant sin, they are confronted with that sin, they refuse to acknowledge that sin, they refuse to confess and repent of that sin, they are not welcome in this family. Now, I might as well just say that. It's not like Donald Trump, don't I? I they, just, they just need to know they are not because you say, well, pastor, that sounds kind of mean. No, it's not mean at all. Look, if I'm engaged in a sin, a besetting sin, and I know and I hate my sin, I am striving as hard as, I don't mean now as a pastor, I'm saying as a church member, I'm striving as hard as I can to get help, and I need the help of my brothers and sisters. Would you not welcome them into the family so we can all grow? Of course you would. I said, well, I don't think it's anybody's business. Well, do I do this or don't do this? I don't think it's, you know, that's up to me, my own, you know. It's like, no, you know what? You don't understand yet what it means to be a member of the church family. So what we need to do is we need to understand that we come together as brothers and sisters in Christ. If we're Christians, we must be a member of a church family. We must. We need each other. We need to grow together.
This is our corporate endorsement. What other evidence do we have? We have 600 and some odd people, most of whom I have never met. I've tried. 11 years I've tried, in some cases. I'm not saying they're not Christians. Please don't get me wrong. I'm just not saying that I have any assurance that they are Christians. And yet, who's responsible to give an account for them? And that's why I want to know, are you or aren't you? And that's why they're going to get a card this week. And they'll have the opportunity to pray over it and say, you know what, we do need to get back in church. We need to say, yes, this is my church, I want to be a part of Or they're going to say, really? I'm still in the role of you. I didn't even know, I've been gone from there 20 years. I, I didn't even know I was still in your role. You know, that's up to them to decide. But beloved, our responsibility is to hold each other in a loving, humble covenant commitment. That's what biblical church membership is all about. It's not about having your name on some role. It's not about having your name on some document. It is about saying, I am part of this body. With thankfulness, with joy, and with grace. Let's pray together. Father, these people have been very patient with me. A lot more things that you wanted me to say or that I thought you wanted me to say that had to be cut today. Maybe we'll get to it later, Father, but I pray that if they've not heard anything else from me today, that you have spoken through me to help them understand that this is a precious treasure. Being a member of a church is not some human institution, not some creation. It was your son that said, on the rock of our testimony of faith in you, you will build your church. And you welcome people in who have surrendered their lives to your son as their savior. And we want to welcome them too. So, Father, today, as we move forward and think about what it means to be part of a committed community of believers, there may be some, Father, here who aren't part of this family. Maybe they're not part of any family anywhere, and they'd like to find a place where they could be held accountable and can hold us accountable, work in their hearts. And there may be some here, Father, who don't even know you yet as Savior. They've not surrendered their lives to your Son they understand that that's their first step. To surrender their lives and commit themselves to you and to your son. So, Father, whatever it is that you need to do in people's hearts today, I ask that you would move in Jesus' name.